0: On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books, featured on C SPAN's Book TV.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: And welcome to About Books. Now, in a few minutes, we'll chat with an author and illustrator who has seen his graphic novel caught up in the ongoing fight over book bans. But first, here's some of the latest stories from the publishing world. Former President Trump has sued author Bob Woodward and Simon & Schuster for $50 million. The charge is copyright infringement. The suit is over Mr. Woodward's audiobook, the Trump Tapes, the historical record, and whether or not the former president recorded those in his personal capacity or as president. In other news, USA Today's best-selling book list is back after a six-month hiatus due to staff cuts. Begun in 1993, the book list collects hardcover, paperback, and e-book sales data, from bookstore chains, independent bookstores, and online retailers to come up with 150 top-selling titles each week. The most recent list includes several Colleen Hoover books along with David Baldacci and John Grisham's most recent thrillers. And coming in at number 19 is Unbroken Bonds of Battle, a modern warrior's book of heroism, patriotism, and friendship by Johnny Joey Jones. It deals with military friendships and the bonds forged by battles and other shared experiences. And finally, in publishing news, amid the national debate over book bans, a coalition of publishing, library, and author groups is calling on members of the book community to reaffirm the 1953 Freedom to Read Statement. Issued 70 years ago, The freedom to read statement was an effort by the American Library Association and the American Book Publishers Council to respond to censorship during the McCarthy era. The leaders of the American Library Association, the American Booksellers Association, the Association of American Publishers, and the Author Guild released a joint statement saying, quote, 70 years ago, fear, suspicion, and suppression, fueled by McCarthyism, was at a fever pitch, a serious situation that required a robust and vigorous affirmation of intellectual freedom. Today, as we grapple with a new wave of censorship in schools, libraries, and bookstores, the freedom to read statement remains an important defense of the freedom to write, publish, and inquire. And now a conversation with Jerry Craft, author and illustrator of the New Kid graphic novel series. C-SPAN's John McCardle recently sat down with him to talk about his Newbery Medal winning children's book and efforts by some critics who have tried to get it removed from school libraries.
1: Jerry Craft, you're currently on a book tour promoting the third book in this graphic novel series of yours. Where are you today?
3: I am in Gowanda, New York, uh, which is up near Buffalo.
1: And who are you meeting with today? Who's your audience on this book tour?
3: So I think this one I did uh, seventh and eighth graders. I'm about to do ninth graders. And then I go over to the elementary school. So I think all in all today, I'll speak to about 600 kids. 600 kids
1: about the latest book. It's called School Trip, the third book in this series. All three of these books in these graphic novels revolve around the character Jordan Banks. Who's Jordan Banks?
3: So Jordan Banks is loosely me and my two sons. Um, I grew up in Washington Heights in New York City. I wanted to be an artist. My mom and dad did not want me to be an artist because they had only heard the term starving artist. So they sent me to a prestigious private school in Riverdale. In my case, it was called Fieldston. In, um, in Jordan Banks' case, it's called Riverdale Academy Day School.
1: And the story that you write, where does it take Jordan Banks? What does he learn on, the, on this trip?
3: You know, it really is a 12-year-old um, seeing, being exposed to race and class for the first time. So it's it's not just black and white. It's, you know, all the black kids meeting him for the first time in different socioeconomic um, aspects. It's, you know, kids from around his block saying, oh, you think you're too good now because you go to this private school. So it's a lot of different kinds of things, but really seeing him for the first time of trying to maneuver through all these new territories of being a 12 year old, going to a new school.
1: In your mind, was this a, a coming of age story you wrote when, when you wrote New Kid, or was this social commentary or a blend of both?
3: Yeah, it's really a blend of both because I think that, um, you know, a lot of times when you see African American kids, uh, news, TV, movies, it's a lot of times the same kind of kid who is struggling to survive. And that was not my life, you know, my life growing up in a brownstone in Washington Heights and me and my friends played stickball and touch football and, you know, um, rode bikes and skateboards. So it wasn't that struggle, you know, where you're always waiting for that cataclysmic event to happen, you know, Uh, but there were day to day things that happened that, I never really saw it touched on. And again, the pressure of, you know, your parents want you to go to a school, prestigious private school, but your friends around your block may not understand that or think that, you know, why do you talk this way? Or why do you look that way? Or why do you act that way? So there's a lot of little things that I tried to put into the book of things that I had never seen before.
1: How does Jordan Banks react when when he encounters these situation, when he goes to this school?
3: Well, you know, it's overwhelming because I know in my case of going to Fieldston, seeing a school with, you know, like my eighth grade class, there's 25 kids of which 23 were African-American. And then to go to Fieldston and there are 110 kids in my class. And there was a swimming pool in the school. There are, um, you know, tennis courts. And even with my son's going to school and playing rugby, sports that I had never heard of or really scene you know uh, squash things like that and all of that while meeting new kids seeing uh you know different conversations different music so that's almost school in of itself you know and that's not even putting in geometry and algebra and history uh but trying to pass those tests of trying to fit in and then keep enough of yourself so that when you go back to your neighborhood you still feel like you're part of that, so it can be a lot of work. It can be exhausting.
1: When you talk to these kids, these kids you're you're seeing today in the different grades, what's their reaction? What do they connect most most with?
3: So it's partially a Jordan Banks' story, but it's partially my own story of being a very reluctant reader. I hated reading books as a kid, and that surprises a lot of them. So when I go up and I say, you know, cause they expect that I read nonstop from the time I was born. And I was like, I went from Dr. Seuss to Marvel comics and nothing because I never saw myself in the book. I hated to read and they're like, and then that's when you see them sitting forward, like, wow, really? I didn't consider myself a writer until I was adult. Cause I didn't like to read, but I made my sons read and, and show them, you know, that they could read for enjoyment, which is something that I never did until I was a grown man reading to my kids. So they are, and then also follow my dream, going from a reluctant reader to newberry winning uh, author, you know, all a surprise to them because they just think that my path was easy, which it really wasn't, you know, going through self-publishing books because I couldn't get published because I didn't want to do those cataclysmic books, with slavery and civil rights and police brutality. I just want to do a happy, loving African-American family with friends and support, just navigating, you know, some of the the little things, little idiosyncrasies that you see, as opposed to something that's just like, bam, hits you over the head.
1: New Kid comes out in 2019, as you said, Newberry Medal winner in 2020 won the Kirkus Prize as well, several, several other prizes. Explain what happened with this book in Katy, Texas, in the school district there in the fall of 2021.
3: Well, it was interesting because up until that time, it had been all love. I mean, Newbery, Coretta Scott King, Kirkus Prize in 13 languages. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is pretty good. This is a pretty charmed life. And then uh, I got a DM on Twitter saying that there was a woman down in Katy, Texas, who had gotten 400 people to sign a petition to not only block my school visit, but to also take my books on the shelf, take my books off the shelves. And I was pretty surprised because, like I said, up to then, all the feedback has been had been really great. And... um they said it was teaching critical race theory, which I had to Google because I had no idea what I was being accused of. Uh, terms like Marxist, again, very surprising. And um, then the school board took it off the shelves, but they did something which I really respect. They actually read the book themselves. And within a week's time, they were like, there is nothing wrong with this book. So they put it back on the shelves and then they approached me and asked if I would come back and and do the school visit after all, which I did. Meanwhile, there was another petition to get me back that had like 3,500 uh, people sign the petition. Uh, there was a store, Brown Sugar Books and Cafe, that then got a GoFundMe to purchase books to give to the kids. So the backlash to the backlash <laughs> was very successful. And... um you know, these little fires pop up every once in a while, but the problem that I have is they never talk about the kids. They're never saying, my kid is offended by the book. You know, my kid feels less than because of what you did in your book. I get emails all from kids all over the world saying like, this is the first book that they've read. There's a book club here today. A kid who started hated to read and read new book New Kid like three times and started a book club based on that so that is pretty amazing
1: coming back to the incident in, in katie texas the the woman who asked for this book to be removed uh was quoted by nbc news at the time uh and this is part of what she said that this book new kid doesn't come out and say we want white children to feel like oppressors but that is absolutely what they will do what was your response to that
3: Well, if you see on the cover, it is Jordan, who is African-American, Liam, who is white, and Drew, who is African-American, and they are best friends. So this is not anti-white at all. You know, uh, Liam is a wealthy kid who finds something in Jordan, you know, um, and it really isn't that. And again, some of the, the biggest things happen between African-American kids and themselves of teasing kids, you know, call them an Oreo or, um, you know, again, why do you talk like that? Or you think you're too good to hang out with us now? So some of the most brutally honest stuff happens between African-American kids. So it's not at all a black versus white thing. It is really a kid seeing race and class for the first time and how he relates to it. So if you look to be offended, you will. And these people have looked to be offended. But no one ever cared about the thousands of books that I was exposed to that made me feel bad as an African-American kid. You know, no one tried to protect me from that. And now people like me grow up to write our own books, and all of a sudden those books are what the problem is. What about
1: the timing of when kids will see your book or will have access to your book. More recently, j- just within the past couple months, uh, this book in Escambia County, Florida, uh, was, uh, was restricted only to middle school libraries and high school libraries, but not elementary school libraries. What did you think of that move?
3: Well, you know, the, one of the things that I saw first is a nine-year-old third grader going to a school board, which probably on a Saturday where he should have been out playing with his friends. And he's talking about, please don't take my favorite book off the shelves because new kids showed me empathy. It showed me that you can't treat people a certain way. It shows that everyone has their own story and you need to get to know that story. And to think that you're doing something good for kids and they're telling you exactly what they want, you know? Um, So we don't listen to them then, but then if those same kids go and, you know, talk about making the school safer for them, like we don't do anything about that, but, you know, let a kid be seen with, walk around with new kid the class act, then all of a sudden that's a problem. So. I do think that it is every parent's right to control what they want their kid to read. It's not a parent's right to tell me what I'm allowing my kids to read. And that's what the big problem for me personally is.
1: You talk about the backlash to the backlash. Uh, when it comes to Scambia County, a, a federal case recently filed, uh, Pen America, the, the free speech group, uh, Penguin Random House has joined with Pen America and a couple of parents in that school district uh, to, to sue the, the school board over these restrictions. About a dozen books were actually pulled off the shelves uh, as opposed uh, in uh, response to some complaints. What will that lawsuit mean going forward in your mind? Do you think this is a turning point in this this fight over book bans?
3: Yeah, I hope so, because the agenda is so misplaced. You know, like, our kids are not okay. You know, my oldest son, his very first day of school ever was nine eleven. His last day of school was a global pandemic, and they had school shooter drills, um, our kids aren't okay, they can't be. And to take something away from them where they find comfort, where they see that they're not the only ones who think like this, you know, and to see kids like hugging a book or waking up and it's by the foot of their bed, to think that you're helping them by taking that away from them and not giving them something else, like, you know, kids will go on TikTok. You know, kids will just stop reading, you know, they play video games, there's movies, there's all this. So to take a book away from them and stop them from reading is a lot more ominous than people think because it's really controlling how you want them to feel. Uh, So, you know, that's where I think the danger is and all those like, you know, post-apocalyptic stories and dystopian all start with like taking books away and, and, and putting like exactly what you want kids to read. And that's kind of, it's kind of scary.
1: On taking books away, uh, coming back to your experience in, in Katy, Texas, uh, there was the complaint, there was the review and you said uh, within a week the, the book was put back on the shelves. Do you consider that a book ban that happened to your book in, in Katy, Texas?
3: Um, it would have been in this particular case, yes, um, because if the school board had not shown, you know the actual uh, you know, due diligence and reading it for the first time, um but again, you know, like if they had um, focus groups and actually talked to kids about it, you know, and was and as a concerned parent' I'm like, oh, I don't want my kid reading. Huckleberry Finn because it has you know foul language. Okay, I can understand that. But to just say, oh, I don't wanna read it because it's gonna make them feel bad. Well, have you had a conversation with a kid? Did your kid actually say that to you? And you know, the woman, when she was on the NPR, actually made up stuff in my book that never actually happened. So that was also a big thing. It's like, oh, and this happened. This. Like, that wasn't in my book. Like, I don't know what you're actually talking about. So there is an agenda there that, again, why does someone like me grow up to write a book like this, the book that I wish I had? Because I never felt seen. I never felt heard. And now that kids feel that with my books, now all of a sudden that's where the problem is.
1: If if parents aren't going to have those conversations on the on the front end before the complaint is made, Do you think this is the right process for school districts to handle complaints, to to temporarily pull a book off the shelf, do the review, and then make that decision? Is, Is there a better way of doing this? Should the books be left on the shelf while they're doing the review, or should the complaint get the benefit of the doubt?
3: Well, one of the things is a lot of the people that are complaining are very uninformed. First of all, it's like, have you read the book? That's one of the big things. Secondly, in my case, there are people that are anti-graphic novel because they don't even understand that the term graphic novel means that you know it is graphic, it is illustrated, you know what I mean? They think that a graphic novel means that um, it has graphic content. So they're getting riled up at the very beginning for something that's not even true. Graphic novel, does that mean it has graphic content? So is it fair to pull something off of a bookshelf before you even have a conversation saying, okay, specifically, what is it about this book? So no, I don't think that they should be pulled without doing their due diligence and actually having someone just say, okay, uh, I do have a specific complaint with this book Not that I'm pulling these catchphrases off of the Internet and I just want to be heard because I've got nothing else to do with my day.
1: Somebody who has read your book and and likes it very much. uh, Jenna Bush Hager included your your latest book, School Trip, as part of her her summer reading list. What did what did that endorsement mean for you? Uh, Has it changed your book tour that you're on right now?
3: Um, It hasn't changed because my publisher, HarperCollins, had a very robust schedule. So I have been all over the country and have seen thousands and thousands of kids since April 4th when it came out. Uh, Being on Jenna Bush's reading list is, you know, another amazing thing. But again, it's something that when they see it, you know, there are parents that have tears in their eyes when they're telling me that they've had conversations with their kids. You know, they've used the book as a jump off point to have great conversations in the car as they go to school about them being seen, about them being heard, about sharing empathy. So, you know, when I get an angry new uh, emails talking about um, that I have a Milton mental illness because I'm trying to indoctrinate a whole generation of kids, I'm like, what for kindness and empathy again just totally um pulling grasping at straws sometimes so yes when something like the Jenna Bush uh accolade comes it is it is definitely uh from a good place that i appreciate tremendously
1: what's the best accolade or best conversation you've had with a kid uh on on this current book tour that you're on
3: um I've had kids come over and just literally thank me for characters. You know, there's one uh, Latino boy came over and he had his head down and he stood next to me. And he just goes, thank you for Ramon. And it's like, oh, and again, today in this school, I met a book club. This kid hated to read and he started a book club. And other kids that hated to read came in and they were sitting in the front row. Um, you know, I get so many teary hugs from teachers and librarians who are just like, this is the book that started him. You know, I had a teacher say that a kid came to her and said, you know, Miss Walker, promise me you'll read this book over the weekend so you could talk about it. And she's like, she's like, wait a minute, this kid has never read a book and he's given me a reading assignment. Like she could not believe it. And they sit there and they read the book together And she said, it just turns on a new light for these kids, you know, who thought that they couldn't be readers. But again, I always say that there's no such thing as a reluctant reader, it's just a kid who hasn't found their book yet.
1: Kids not just reading this book, there's the audio book version of of these books too, correct? How do you do that with a graphic novel? Is, are you missing part of the story if you're not seeing uh the, the pictures along with listening to the story?
3: You know it's so funny? Um when they first said that they were gonna do it as an audiobook, I'm like, am I gonna have to read it and do voices? But Caitlin Guerin and the the team at HarperCollins did an amazing job. So it's a full cast with sound effects. It's like the old fashioned radio shows, you know, back in the day, or like going to a Broadway play and just closing your eyes. Um so it's a good thing that you can do as a companion piece to reading the book. Like you can listen to it in the car with your kids and then they can read the book on their own or they can read it and then follow along with the book because I have so many things uh, like little Easter eggs that I hide in the images uh, that are really fun for kids to uh, to look at. Um, so I think in conjunction it's a it's a pretty fun and informative experience.
1: If you don't mind me telling viewers your age, you're 60 years old this year.
3: Yeah. Uh, this uh, it, the big six. in January
1: and this book, uh, New Kid came out in, in 2019. Uh, people may ask what you were doing before that, that you published this this first book that got so much attention in 2019.
3: So I self published for about 20 years because I couldn't get traditionally published because I refused to do uh, books on slavery, civil rights struggle, uh, a lot of the, the history books. And not that they aren't important books, but I wanted to add to that narrative. You know, there are a thousand books on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he deserves every one of them. But I think that any book that a kid wants to read, I don't care if it's Dog Man. Wimpy kid, you know, if they want to read it, it's an important book, and I just wanted to show kids of color coming from a different point where it's not catastrophic. you know it's a loving mom, a loving dad, there's a lot of humor, you know with the people banning it, never actually come to one of my events and hear me talk to kids about the importance of reading or the importance of telling your own story or following your passion um So they don't do their own due diligence. You know, they don't look at me as the dad that coached his kids softball, baseball team and basketball team and made ice cream for kids and do all this stuff. They put me up as some kind of villain where I have this ulterior motive and all I've ever wanted to do from the time even working at Sports Illustrated for kids is to help kids find their passion and, and, you know, just, have good lives because there's so much now going on that is overwhelming for kids. And to see them again with that book that they finally find that it's like, this is me, and be like, nah, not so fast. Like, again, what are they gonna do, go on TikTok? That's okay. The latest book is School Trip. It's the
1: third book in the New Kid graphic novel series. Jerry Craft is the author. Appreciate your time on Book TV.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: And you're watching About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, each Tuesday, dozens of new books are published. Here's a recent sampling. Former television news anchor and 2022 Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake is out with her first book about her life and political career. It's titled Unafraid, Just Getting Started. And Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Wes Lowry is out with American Whitelash: A Changing Nation and the Cost of Progress. It explores race in America since the election of Barack Obama as president. And two new books are set to be released this month. Journalist Chadwick Moore was granted more than 100 hours of interviews with Tucker Carlson in researching what he called the definitive biography of the former Fox News anchor. The book is entitled simply, Tucker. And David Lipsky, best-selling author of Absolutely American, Four Years at West Point, is set to release his newest book. It's called The Parrot and the Igloo, Climate and the Science of Denial. Well, coming up on Book TV is our weekly Afterwards program. This week, business journalist Jason Del Rey looks at the rise of Amazon and Walmart, and their economic impact on the U.S. and around the world. He's interviewed by Insider Chief Tech Correspondent Eugene Kim. Here's a portion.
2: I talked to a lot of leaders of the Walmart online unit over over time, and they said, even at different points, you know, they'd have a reporting structure where they reported, kind of reported into two different leaders. One would be saying, grow, 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 uh, in sort of the Amazon way, and the other would say, um, you know, make sure we hit profits. Uh, You know, just one last thing on this topic. One of these leaders I quote in my book, uh, he he said that you know there were a couple years where in the early two thousands where Walmart online was finally growing you know pretty quickly at about a fifty percent clip uh, year over year, and uh, that was not really celebrated. But when the business unit got close to profitability, um, that is what leaders celebrated, and he called it a mistake because he said, you know, Walmart, uh, Amazon at that time is investing billions a year into into their e-commerce core business and we're investing maybe a couple hundred million and so um, looking back some of these leaders just felt like you know it was really hard at that time for them but also that maybe they didn't paint amazon as much of the existential threat as they should have Um, but it was hard to see for some of these walmart leaders that looking at their size of their business and then seeing you know a much smaller company, um, you know, innovating in a new way.
0: And a reminder that Afterwards airs every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by C SPAN's Book TV. Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs. A reminder that you can get this podcast on the C SPAN Now app, and you can also watch online all of Book TV's programs. Just go to booktv.org.